Hello, everyone. I am Kevin Verga, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Devin D'Agostino. Devin, how's it going? It's going well, Kev. How are you doing? I'm doing great. The sun I'm going to come up with something new to say to you. <laughs> I always right say now. it's going well. <sighs> come back to me. Okay. <laughs> uh, we will come back to you because we're joined with a special guest today, Emma Spoldy. Mm-hmm. Emma, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. What's up? I'm excited to be here. I'm a little nervous, though, I must admit, but I'm excited. There you go. Perfect. Oh, that's a good way. That's what I should have said to you. Can I say what Emma said and then you make her do another intro? Yeah, so you'll say what Emma says and then I'll cut out Emma's and then Emma will have to do another one. Yeah. I love this already. Cool. Welcome, Emma. Devin, Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thanks. And myself. Hello. Hello. So, hello, Kevin. <laughs> thank you. Every episode, Dev and I, and sometimes a guest like Emma, are going to stop making sense. And what that means is that every episode, We choose a new talking head song to analyze and ponder, and we let our minds wander and take us to uncharted realms of science, comedy, and music, where we answer such burning questions as, who took the money? Who took the money away? Where, where is my common sense? Why stay in college? Why go to night school? And most importantly, where is that large automobile? All this and more coming up on Devin and Kevin and Emma, Stop Making Sense. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today's episode is Strange Overtones, a David Byrne song, not a talking head song, a David Byrne song, released in 2008. Does anyone have any introductory thoughts on the song or the David Byrne solo projects in general? Yeah, I can give a little background on the album. So special episode, not only because we are joined by Emma, which we're, we're very happy to have on here, but this is our first time delving into David Byrne's solo career, or at least collaborative career. So Strange Overtones is on the album, Everything That Happens Will Happen Today. It was actually the second collaborative album between David Byrne and Brian Eno. So Brian Eno was a music producer had a big influence on the Talking Heads, and in the 80s, Byrne and Eno did their first collaboration. But this album, just like a little overview of it, the major themes it sort of talks about is this idea of humanity versus technology. So it was made in 2008, it's a relatively recent album, the most recent of the songs that we're talking about with David Byrne, and also discussing um, ideas of optimism in bleak circumstances. So I think it's interesting too because when Byrne was writing this, when Byrne was making the lyrics for this album, he was thinking a lot about he had recently gone through a divorce. Obviously, the 2008 financial crisis, the Iraq War, is a very bleak time, but he wanted to make optimistic lyrics. Another cool thing about this album is it mixes gospel and electronic. So, that idea of humanity versus technology, gospel, and electronic. And also, Byrne and Eno worked nearly exclusively, they worked separately and nearly exclusively on this album. Eno did the instrumentation. He wanted these optimistic gospel lyrics, but he couldn't come up with them, so he gave them to Byrne. Again, with this idea of humanity versus technology, Eno was doing all the digital instrumentation. Byrne was making all the hopeful lyrics. So we have this dichotomy running through it. That's a very cool album. Emma, you chose this song. Could you maybe give some insight on how and why this song attracted your ear? Of course. Well, you gave me a playlist of songs to choose from, and I kind of wanted to choose something a little bit different than what I've heard from the Talking Heads. But of course, when I 
when I like a song, I usually go off the vibe of it or like the music of it rather than the lyrics at first. So I was totally vibing and grooving when I first heard this. So I was like, I just have to choose this one. But it's interesting that you say that, Devin, about the digital age and like humanity, because I think it's also very applicable to today's world right now and like Corona time, not just 2008. So pretty ironic that I chose this but I really just chose this song because it was groovy as hell yeah <laughs> it is it is one that you just instantly get behind like that has that intro and mm-hmm. has this synth mellotron feel but then that underlying late stage talking heads polyrhythm you know I've been dancing a lot in my room during quarantine me too and you know this type of music has been my saving grace because you can just just I- bop and like fold your laundry to it I was definitely going to say, you definitely could have a full dance session to this. Because when I was thinking of this, I was like, I'll start my day with this. I don't know. Like, I just put myself in, like, a virtual reality or something like that. Or just me, like, starting my day, cleaning my bedroom, brushing my teeth, washing my face, getting on with the day. Very optimistic and going through it. It was just a very joyful song to me that I keep listening to. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, quick aside here, I don't know why life during wartime, like in Stop Making Sense, hasn't become a TikTok dance, because that dance is like easily parodied, and it's a blast. I've been trying to learn it, but... I think you should start it. I should I'll make... The, I should I'll start the dance. <laughs> we should work on that. Look up the video, okay, Life perfect. During Wartime, Stop Making Sense. Okay. That dance is perfect TikTok dance. Just saying. Listeners, send in your... Submit your um, TikTok dances to Life During Wartime. Yeah, the Venn diagram of people that listen to Talking Heads podcasts and people who make TikTok dances, I think, culminate into just Emma. I think she's the only <laughs> one that listens to us and then also TikTok, maybe. I do, I do have some TikTok dances that I like to do. I don't publish them, but, like, they bring me joy, so. <laughs> We're actually all going to take a break now to do a TikTok dance. Right, exactly. <laughs> you guys can't see it because it's an audio medium, but yeah. just know, just know we are. <laughs> that was great. All right, so maybe we could transfer into the song itself. Yeah. Like we said, it's a David Byrne song. This is not a Talking Head song. Pretty modern, 2008. A lot of modern events that are still feeling the ripples today. And it makes it a very good song for now. Now being, you know, we're filming this, recording this uh, Memorial Day weekend of 2020. Memorial Day itself. And there's a lot of stuff that we can... You know, take from the lyrics here and still apply to today. For me, I saw a lot of imagery come from this song. You know, it opens up with the first verse is, I wake up every morning, like Emma does, and plays the song. I hear your feet on the stairs. You're in the next apartment. I hear you singing over there. It just brought like, some New York City atmosphere to it. Like, you wake up, you're in your small apartment, the walls are razor thin, you hear your neighbor singing, starting their own day. I, I see a lot of during quarantine, like people singing out their windows and playing instruments in their apartments. And it just felt very nice and made me nostalgic for New York City, which I am dearly missing right now. Well, I had a question for you guys, actually. Sure. Who do you think the you is? Do you think he was talking to the listeners or like a specific person? I, I was trying to figure that out while I was listening to it. Yeah, I mean, I think I have a blend of both of what you were saying and also Kevin's idea, because I pictured the same thing. Someone in an apartment, right? And they wake up when we had Rachel, another friend of the podcast. She talked about, we were talking about this must be the place. And she set that scene, that post-apocalyptic scene where the song was taking place. Mm -hmm. 
I almost felt like this is this guy, right? And he wakes up and he hears the neighbor playing music. And I assume the neighbor was like, you know, the girl next door, his crush or this infatuation that he has. And he's trying, to, almost the song is him trying to write a song for her. He knows her. He only knows her from afar, you know, like one of those distance from afar. Maybe they run into each other on the way up the elevator. But he's trying to make these lyrics for her, but he can't really express himself properly. He can't find the right words to describe it. I don't know if you guys felt similarly. No, it's funny that you said that. I actually thought it was like a love song and the first time I heard it. And then I looked at the lyrics more and it's like, oh, I think it's, I don't, I don't really think it's a love song, but like, I'm still going to go with the idea that it's a love song because we love love. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely also saw since David Byrne is singing and he's in his apartment, I think he is the I in the lyrics. And I I also thought that it was a female next door, but I wasn't sure if it was a romantic interest. Like it could be. It could be like oh, you know, you meet on the elevator. It's nice like you have those close encounters that you look forward to on a daily basis. But I also imagined since this is late stage David Byrne him like living in a New York City apartment and there's like a young up and coming musician just yeah. next door and he's just listening to them progress and almost reminiscing of, oh, I remember that. I'll try to harmonize your songs. And, you know, she's not quite as fully flushed out as a musician. So he's like, oh, your song still needs a chorus. You'll figure it out. Just add a change of key. I've done this all before. The speaker was a little more experienced than the person singing next door. And it's interesting. I think, again, we always talk about like the personal context, which we bring into these songs. And I was going to turn to you, especially because there are some technical music terms. I'm like, this is, <laughs> we're going to have to turn to Kevin for this. Just the idea of the personal context for the song, what I sort of associate this was, this is a song like I listened to when I was getting over a breakup. Because right? it was, it was just like a positive, happy song. I never really listened to the lyrics, but it just had such a nice tune to it. And that when you're getting a in those after stages when you're waking up and you're feeling down and stuff I just put on the song and like dance to it as I got ready for my day and so maybe that's why I interpret it again with this leaning towards the love idea but it was also cool too when we talked about like the idea of this album that he's trying to write uplifting lyrics is it's definitely an uplifting song I mean whether it is that he's just trying to construct a song for someone he's in love with or he's constructing one in general or he's reminiscing on older his own musical career there's something in it that's so positive. There is that underlying sense of despair. We talked in like other burn songs or talking head songs, there's that underlying neuroticism. There's always, always that underlying tension within the songs of despair and happiness. But it definitely seems he's trying to like conquer something or conquer some negative emotion. Devin, I don't know if you got this, um, but like the subject of the song struggles to write innovative music, it, but it overhears by a neighbor, Kevin, using beats that are 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is the, that's the next verse is, this groove is out of fashion. These beats are 20 years old. I saw you lend a hand to the ones outstanding in the cold. I, I did find that interesting. That's probably the line that stuck with me first when I first heard the song. A groove that's out of fashion, like a fashionable groove that's 20 years old. I started thinking, you know, this song was released in 2008. 20 years before that, was 1988 and that's when the Talking Heads last album Naked came out and that album also uses a lot of funky dance happy rhythms with undertones of possibility but also despair I think of the songs Nothing But Flowers or Totally Nude off that album and he kind of channels that 
in this song in the danciness of it but definitely a new stage it's not a talking head song yeah i mean again i think just because my interpretation was that that crush that he has that he keeps seeing right he obviously interprets this person to be very nice they're out there they're it's i think but i agree completely with what you said that he's looking at someone who is younger more positive i mean this person's out they're doing charity work i just picture a very bubbly happy person right that wakes up is listening to music in the morning and this songwriter who's trapped in his house trying to construct this song, which is interesting too, because you read what David Byrne says in reflection of this album, and he struggled a lot with it because he had the music with, that Brian Eno made, but he couldn't figure out the right lyrics to fit with it. So he's struggling to write this song, and he's seeing this person outside full of energy and life who's just enjoying life while he's maybe stuck, focused in this apartment trying to get the song done. There was a quote by Brian Eno that said, it's quite easy to make just digital music and it's quite easy to make just human music, but to try and make a combination is sort of exciting, I think. So I think that kind of goes to the verse that we're talking about now. I don't know, Kevin, if you want to like deep dive more into like what overtone means, because I know I was quite confused by that in the beginning. I mean, that's really interesting, the dichotomy between electronic music and human music mm-hmm. you know what is human music i guess music made by humans i mean that's david burns singing it's vocal chords and then there's like these synthetic sa- synth sounds that you know found their way starting you know 20 years before the song was released in the in the you know the 80s that's when it really blew up but to move on to you know maybe the titular line in the oh, uh in the chorus good word whoa and maybe just to kind of motion into what struck me in terms of the musical composition of this song is, uh, starts with the chorus. Strange overtones in the music you are playing. I'll harmonize. It is strong and you are tough, but a heart is not enough. That's nice. I just like the idea of him harmonizing with the person next door. I think that's just such a nice human moment that's like become very popular now in the quarantine. I'd see all these videos of people opera singing out windows and people clapping and joining in. That's just really nice. I like that. I didn't, because re- I, I hadn't thought of this line that much, but it makes me think after you describe it like that, you know that scene in Elf? Oh, when <laughs> Zoe Deschanel is singing in the shower and Will Ferrell's <laughs> oh, out there no. harmonizing with her, but it's sort of, you know, it has that similar feel. Like it's very innocent. He just hears his neighbor harm- singing. I mean, obviously, it could seem, be seen more nefariously, but he's just doing it in this innocent. He hears the song. He enjoys it. He's trying to harmonize along. If I could, if I could try to verbalize a, a thought, it might not be fully formed, but I'd like your opinions. In both of those situations, this song of, you know, I imagined an older gentleman, maybe David Byrne himself, listening to a younger female musician. And then we go to Elf, where he's like, a naive elf <laughs> man played by Will, Will Ferrell singing along to Zoe Deschanel in the shower. He's not trying to like pursue her romantically at the moment. He's just trying to sing with her because singing is nice. Smiling and singing is his favorite. You usually hear songs but singing like a man to a woman. It's usually romantic and you know like a Beatles song like she loves you, I love you, I want to be with you. But I feel like this a song where there's maybe a male and female correspondence that's not sexual not romantic not pursuing at all it just is and i think it's a very refreshing unique thing that's not in a lot of popular music 
Definitely agree. I think that it might just be, when I say crush, it may not even be romantic. It's just like he's excited, right? He sees this Curiosity. neighbor. Curiosity, right. There's this youthful neighbor. Maybe he's pining for his own youth or maybe he's happy with where he is, but he's very, he's inspired by this person. But a line I keep coming back to too, and I think might be interesting to tie in is he says, but a heart is not enough. And he ends the line with that, the song with that too, but a heart is not enough. And I think it brings back this interesting dichotomy that we could speak more about between technology and the human, right? Not being able to say enough with your words to capture the feeling, that, that emotion. And again, like Emma, you brought in the idea, you know, we're in coronavirus, it is ubiquitous, we need to mention it. Um, these contacts we have over Zoom, this digital medium, right? Something about it isn't enough. Even when you're video chatting with someone, even when you can see them face to face, it's not the same as being with that person in face to face. So it's interesting. And I'd like to hear more about what you guys think of that, this idea between technology versus the person. Can technology ever compensate or be equal to human contact? Yeah, I was definitely going to say that I think during this time during quarantine, we have a heightened curiosity to like understand people that we don't really know a lot about, whether it's through social media, I think, especially social, social media, there's just so much content going out there. But I think we're just all very curious about other people's lives and like either like what they're doing during this time, what's happening with like relationships, etc. But I think we're just curious because we're lacking that human contact, like you were saying, Devin. So this, now talking about it, like this song is very applicable to today. My goodness gracious. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> like there's a, there's definitely a connection between like, what we're doing right now is communicating over Zoom and, you know, we're good friends. We can feel comfortable doing this, but it's definitely not the same as us sitting together in a room conversing. It's that kind of barrier between all of us. This one is techno technological. In this song, there's like a physical barrier of maybe a wall between these two people. And it's that same kind of feeling of pining for possibility of some sort of human connection or just being happy with the situation you're in right now. It's very nice. It's harmonizing. Oh, okay, so the song is called Strange Overtones. And two words there. Strange, descriptor of an overtone, which is a noun. So how do we know if an overtone is strange without knowing what a normal overtone is? So that's what I'm curious about. An overtone is a musical phenomenon that is really just a relationship between notes. Have you, any of you like heard of overtones in any situation? It doesn't have to be just music. It's just like, where have you used, like used or heard that word before? The only thing I really can think of is that people suing each other <laughs> for using like the same overtone or something like that for the like a different songs, if that makes sense. Okay. Am I using this correctly? I think with like The Shape of You or something by Ed Sheeran is also used by maybe the Beatles. I'm oh, talking out of my mouth right now, but like I just <laughs> don't really know. But something like that, is that what you're kind of getting at? Uh, could be. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Why not? You know when like you're really sarcastic to your parents and you're like using that tone and then they're like, I'm so over your tone right now. Yeah, there it That's, is. <laughs> so I'm thinking like strange, I'm over your tone. Yeah. Um, Was that close? Uh, well, we'll see. No. I don't want to make it. 
Um, where I've really heard overtones or, you know, the opposite of undertones is maybe in literature. Like you're reading a book and like mm. your teacher's like, what's the undertone here? What are they really oh, trying to say? Okay. What's the overtone, the overarching ideal here? So let's just say we have a book. Choose a, like a novel. Oh gosh. This is <laughs> the plague. The plague. Oh, uh, it's a great read. To kill a mockingbird. Okay. Yeah. So there's like overarching theme that, you know, span across the whole book, but within that larger theme, that point A to point B of like the beginning of the story to the end, there's a bunch of smaller events that ultimately get us to the end. And when you play a note or a chord, it kind of has that same event. And I would just be like, why? Why does that sound good? Why do these notes go together other than someone wrote them down and made a key signature? And really the explanation of that is the overtone series because sound is grounded in physics. It's a wave, a waveform. So when a waveform is released, it will vibrate other frequencies. So when you like press a key or pluck a string on a guitar, yeah, you're playing C, but also the, the expanding wave sound wave that's going out will also vibrate different parts of different strings, you know, have closely related notes ring out like G and F and then the octave of C. It's very interesting. And these accompanying notes that get rung out in the Overtone series, as the great Leonard Bernstein once said. These are arranged in an order preordained by nature and ruled by universal physical laws. If this is news to you, I hope it's good news. All these upper notes, of which you may be unaware, result from a phenomenon of nature whereby any sound-producing source, or I should say pitch-producing source, such as this piano string, vibrates not only as the whole string in all its whatever-inch glory, sounding that low C, but also in fractional segments of that string, each vibrating separately. It's as though the string were infinitely divisible into two halves, into three-thirds, four-quarters, and so on. And the smaller those segments are, the faster they vibrate, producing higher and higher frequencies, and therefore higher and higher tones, overtones. <laughs> it's the end of the world. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's why he's famous. He's from the, from the R.E.M. song. It's from that song, yeah. <laughs> These notes are preordained by nature and ruled by universal physical law. So we, if someone asks you, like, why does this sound good? You can really just say physics, and yeah. that's the reason why they work together. No, well, that was great. I don't think I've heard divisible since, like, my middle school math days, so that was great. I loved that. <laughs> now, let me ask you, is there such a thing as a strange overtone? So is there, like, a dissonant overtone? Is that a thing, or is this something they made up? Good one, Devin. Good one. And, yeah, Thank you. Great. And can you hear them in the song? Like, does this song have strange overtones? Yeah, I think so. I think what's so atmospheric about it is that it's not just like a very happy, strictly happy, strictly nice consonant melody and consonant chord progression. It's a little funky. It's a little, you know, out of left field. There's a little bit of dissonance there. And humans are so good at picking this up, um, of picking up what note sounds good. Like if someone that never played the keyboard or the guitar picked up a guitar and started like plucking out notes 
when they hit the wrong note, we'll all make a face and be like, that's not the right note. Like, we know that. <laughs> I don't know what the right note is, but that, we know that it's not. Like, You're imagine wrong. Someone... <laughs> and that's what you do. You go to them physics. and like, excuse me, that was wrong. Because <laughs> of physics. Yeah. Um, physics. <laughs> <laughs> excuse me. That's how you get kicked out of parties. <laughs> yeah, so nothing, I mean, I didn't do too much music theory like chord progression analysis for this song but it definitely has something entrancing to it it's not like a a, a top 40 pop song that's very constant that's very catchy but it definitely does have a, an allure to it that makes you lean in a bit in my opinion yeah. well that's what attracted me like from like my first listen to it like and that's why i definitely chose it but my question for you guys do you think this is comparable to his songs in the past or even with talking heads so i think lyrically um mm -hmm. it's similar and just like we talk about a lot with these david burns songs you see there i mean i describe it as basically choppy lyrics right these choppy statements that are very melodic um very they really go with the music but they're almost separable right like each statement hits you one after the other I think the music itself is very resemblant of things that you hear Brian Eno do. Mm -hmm. um, definitely when he collaborated with the Talking Heads, you hear a li little more of that. The fact that there's this gospel influence, and I think they even talk about how they do have roots and tones from African, traditional African music. That's something you see in later David Byrne albums in those collaborations with Brian Eno, like, um, I'm trying to think, help me out, Kevin. The blue one and the yellow one. <laughs> Which you, you know so much more than, <laughs> than I do. Is, no, this this is um Talking Heads albums. The blue one with the four faces, and the yellow <laughs> remain, one with the record. In remain, remain in light. light. And what's the yellow one? Speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues. Yeah, I think it definitely resembles those two albums. <laughs> yeah, groovy. Groovy. Yeah. I, well, I think that groovy is such a good word for it because like those are the grooviest Talking Heads albums and yeah. a lot of David Byrne's solo stuff is also very groovy. Okay, so great start. Let's just take yeah, a right quick it. break, debrief a little bit while the ad plays and we'll come back, you know, stronger than ever. Cool. Thank you to Artificial Intelligence for sponsoring this episode. We are in the days of Zoom first dates, everyone. And I have to say, it's very difficult to find a good-looking, good-natured guy in this online dating space. It's very difficult. Thus, we thought of the idea, artificial intelligence. <laughs> Is that your service? Just enter your preferences, your quirks, your favorite songs and movies, and our super cute computer, will generate an algorithm that will program a perfectly artificial sentient gentleman for your Zoom date. It really works. I'm on a date right now. Listen. Hello, Kevin. You are handsome. Are you down to Zoom? Yes, I am. And for only $5 a month and a few odd conversations with your friends and family, an artificially intelligent would be at your service. And uh, you can go on a date. It'll be fantastic. I've had some great success on this website. And uh, yeah, just use coupon code G-E-N-T-S for the Artificial Intelligence website. Thank you. Oh I can God. vouch for it. I made a great toaster oven through it. <laughs> um, almost I, all my appliances I've met through Artificial Intelligence. So definitely subscribe. That is amazing. 
All right, so just to review the rules. Oh, God. Devin and Kevin die. I kind of like the idea of Devin and Kevin must die, but that's kind of yeah. intense. Oh, be- oh, like you guys really, oh, like you have to, okay. It's just we use a die. I found a die, by the way. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking. If it was Kevin, Devin and Kevin must die, I feel like is a, is a cool, like, sound to it. Mm-hmm. But that means that, like, our bits would have to end in us dying, die. which is kind of a bummer. Let's <laughs> do that. So, Kevin and Kevin and Emma die. I'm joining us today. With me, I have a die with six sides, obviously, like dies have. And different options of six different options of characters and setting. Each of us are going to roll the die to get our character and then our setting. Um, characters and settings all from different talking heads and David Byrne songs. And then we're just going to go from there and see what happens. Very exciting. So. I'll start us off. Um, we're going to go in alphabetical order. First, I'm going to roll for my character. So let's see. I got a four, which is me, which means my character is going to be a billboard standing tall. <laughs> <laughs> um, next is Emma. Emma got a five. So she is going to be not a drowning man. Okay. You're not drowning. Whatever you I'm not drowning. You're not a drowning man. I'm a billboard standing tall. And Kevin is also not a drowning man. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. All right. And then this roll, only one roll here, our setting. So our setting is going to be oh my sweet 16. Fantastic. Devin right. the billboard with two not drowning people. <laughs> At my At sweet, sweet 16. 16. Mm-hmm. So let's go with it. All right. All right. Ready? Okay. Set the scene. Action. It's like bumping. It's like What's up, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Devin's Sweet 16. We got DJ Kev and DJ Emma up here laying down the beats. We are definitely not drowning. We're absolutely <laughs> not drowning, people. Don't even worry. We don't have any water behind the kit with us. Just enjoy the night. This is the Cupid Shuffle. Yeah. What's going on down there? I can't see. Can someone <laughs> describe to me as a billboard stand? I also can't do the Cupid Shuffle. If you have any dances that require you just to stand in one position... That would be great. I love the party. (laughs) (laughs) I'm your dad. I come up to you. Devin, this is your party. Go out and dance with your friends. Don't just be a normal billboard boy in the corner. Be outgoing. I'm just, I'm nervous, dad, because Susie Q, who's not definitely not drowning or a man, is here. And you know, I've had the biggest crush on Susie Q, and this is my sweet 16. But I just don't know what to say to her. Oh my God, play it cool, play it cool. Son, you got this. Susie Q, who's definitely not drowning, is coming over right now. Oh my <laughs> God, oh God. Here she comes, here she comes. Act cool, act cool, it's fine. Hey, Susie. Q. Oh, hey, Billboard, what's up? <laughs> oh, you know, me. <laughs> are you, uh, you're standing tall, man. Like, what, what, why are you gonna be so like that? He gets that from his dad, long, tan, <laughs> and handsome, for sure. I don't really have a choice. <laughs> Well, what is that? what does your billboard say again? I'm sorry, I'm having trouble seeing right now. Oh yeah, I mean it's pretty high up. Um, <laughs> no, it's just an ad for the new dating service, Intelligence. Um, oh man! Digital, digital dating service. All right, everyone. Yeah. I like the, dates. <laughs> it's the, the crush dance. Get your closest crush, whoever you've been crushing on during your whole Sweet Sixteen. Get out to the floor and dance the night away. Here we go. Dad, I can't dance. Son. Look at me in the goddamn eyes. Obviously, we can't do that. I can't you're so much freaking taller than me, and you are a billboard. But go out there. Those two DJs 
are not drowning just for you on your special day. Suzu Q is right here. You're already talking. Ask her to dance. Ask her to dance. And then I, then I evaporate. I disappear. <laughs> You're right. I'm going to do it, Dad. I'm going to do it. And in tragic news, Billboard falls and collapses on party, killing all. <laughs> <laughs> Onlookers say that in its final moments, it, tried, it seemed like the Billboard was trying to dance, but being a Billboard, it just collapsed and crushed the entire party. In other news, sign up for Intelligence, the new digital dating service. We're here with the only survivor from Devin the Billboard Sweet 16, Susie Q. Susie, can you describe to us those last moments before tragedy struck, please? Absolutely horrifying. My gosh! I just saw my friend get flattened by freaking Billboard standing tall. I thought he was the man of the party. He was, it was his Sweet 16. He just tried doing the worm. <laughs> Didn't work. Just kept flattening them over and over again. <laughs> and the, the drowning the... people. Man, gosh, I thought they were not supposed to drown. Guess what? They drowned. <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention that I have water inside of <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They drowned. Cut to DJ Emma and Kevin, like, floating in oh. water, still, like, bumping it. Like, music is blasting in the distance. Wow. Well, we set out what we, not only did we die, but we destroyed our characters. By the end of it, I was a billboard not standing tall, <laughs> and you were both drowning men and women. That was so pretty I damn think that good. Was, we accomplished it. Well, yeah, good job, good. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Okay, so we've already started stopping making sense. So let's continue <laughs> and make even less sense. I wanted to take a deeper dive into this idea of character versus technology. So like what we talked about, this album is all about this idea, or the main idea behind it was humanity versus technology, right? And we have Eno on the digital instrumentation and Brent Burn on the, the lyrics and humanity and things like that. And I wanted to go into a little bit about this idea of like conflict in literature, right? And these different types of conflict. So all conflict in literature branches under two major groups, internal or external. So there's, let's see how many I have, one, two, three, four, five, six different major types of conflict underneath the internal and external um, purviews, right? That's perfect. We can roll for them and then see what <laughs> conflict we are. <laughs> we should try that. So the first one is character versus self. That's the only type of internal conflict. So that's like in Hamlet, right? What is the right choice? This character struggles to figure out what they're supposed to do. Then there's character versus character. That's the one we know the best, right? That's like on, in Game of Thrones or... And then in like James Bond, it's one character pitted against another. Then you have character versus nature. Think like old man in the sea or even a TV show, like a reality show, like man versus wild. Huh. Nature remains this relentless force, but the human character has to struggle with their own emotions in the face of like a relentless non-stopping force. Us right now in quarantine. <laughs> like us right now in quarantine. Exactly. But that's actually a perfect example too, because we have something outside of our control. And the major struggle is it's almost like this human versus self when faced with some circumstance outside of our control. Similarly, you have character versus the supernatural. So this is something like the Odyssey or Harry Potter, where it can be something supernatural, but it can also be like supernatural ideas like fate or destiny or sacrifice, right? Then character versus society. And an interesting example of this I found was Charlotte's Web, right? The pig lives in the society where pigs are for eating but the spider has to defend it. So that was just interesting. Um, but the one I really want to focus on was like character versus technology. So character versus technology, like the 
maybe the, the book that really kicked this off was Frankenstein, right? The struggle between humanity and science. And I want to focus a little bit more and get your guys' interpretations on this specific character versus technology story I found. So it's a folktale. You guys may have heard it. I actually hadn't encountered it before, but the folktale of John Henry. So have you guys ever heard that? John no. Henry? So it's, it's really American. It is very American. So it's an African-American folktale in the 1870s, post-Civil War, um, that historians have actually connected possibly to an actual person, but it's one of the first examples of this idea of man versus technology. And also with many other applications which we can talk about. But John Henry was a steel driver, right? So a steel driver was someone who worked on a railroad track, um, driving in the steel pipes to build the railroad. Obviously during the 1870s, the railroads were expanding greatly to connect the East and West. John Henry is the, this big guy, 10 feet tall, right? Works on the railroad. And in comes this businessman with a steam powered drill machine. And he's trying to sell it to the person who's leading the railroad construction, right? He's like, I have the steam powered drilling machine. It's much more effective than any of the people you have working here. Let me try, try my machine. John Henry steps, steps in and he says, you know what? I'm going to race the machine. I'm going to prove to you that man is better than machine. But throughout the story, he repeats this line, which I think is very interesting. He says, a man ain't nothing but a man, right? So he races against the machine. It's John Henry versus the machine. He's going with hammers in each hand, putting in these steel pipes, and he beats the machine. He races against the machine. He beats it. The machine blows up. It can't keep up with him. And he beats the machine, but as soon as he beats the machine, his heart bursts from the work, and he dies. And that's the end of the story. So John Henry, steel driving man, races against the machine, beats the machine, but dies at the end. I was just interested, what do you guys make of that? This idea of human versus technology, again, can bring in coronavirus, bring in the song, but I thought it was a really interesting and powerful story, folktale, example of character versus technology, and pretty relevant for what's happening right now. I mean, I think it's very fascinating that his heart explodes. You could say that he died of a broken heart. And it's interesting that no one really won in the end. Right, no, I mean, I, that struck me, right? That at the end, and I may have, I, you know what, I should change it. I added in the machine breaking, but the machine doesn't break. So the machine just gets beaten by the guy, which yeah. again, but I think what you're saying puts an interesting um, spin on it too, but also taking into consideration maybe that he races against the machine, he beats the machine, but he dies at the end. I think a big thing right now with coronavirus and this, the fact that a lot of our work is becoming digital is a major concern is will things stay this way? Will we continue to work from home over our computers? I know in industries, right, like Amazon, they're talking about getting drones to ship um, goods to people. What does that mean for people who work in the shipping industry? What is that going to do to them? Um, yeah, and just that scene right at the end where his heart bursts from the work. So he's fight, he beats the machine, but his heart bursts at the end. So at the end, he doesn't really win. And at the end, as we know, man or woman was replaced by the machine, right? We don't use steel driving men anymore. We have steel driving machines to do it. I have two letters and two words in response. Okay. A I civil rights. It is I was just going to say that Kevin. <laughs> nice. It is the great civil rights movement that we have not experienced yet, but it is coming, friends, and it needs to be addressed now before stuff like this happens because artificially intelligent sentient beings will be part of the normal and if we don't prepare for the civil rights of them 
and how we treat them, it's, it could be the death of man itself or the slowing of technological progress. No, I think to your point, Kevin, even um, like at my company, we're starting to look into those like virtual reality, artificial reality. We just had like research done on that to see like the possibilities of actually using like AI for future research. And so like, what are the implications with that? And like, it wound up working. So like, what are the next step with that? And it's just, it's kind of frightening to think about because I feel like we are such like social beings obviously like human beings are social beings like how is that going to be translated with the ai i guess creatures roaming around the world and even if like when we grow up or when we grow up i mean we're grown up but like <laughs> when we're really old i guess <laughs> are we going to be interacting with these people or are like children going to be interacting with these people i'm just wondering what we think the timeline is going to be that and i don't know do you think in the end it's better that technology wins because I guess in this in your example Devin technology does win so well I think it's fascinating too that you guys bring up the idea of civil rights because this is an African-American folktale written right after the Civil War and historians have connected John Henry to an actual person or a couple of different people that it could be who was a recently freed slave and it was a big question of civil rights rights because civil rights right because you have this worker who people they're the employer, the bosses aren't treating like a human being and are more than happy to dispose of when something better comes along. I mean, part of the story, there's a civil rights back of the story too, is what is the purpose of this person? A man ain't nothing but a man, right? That he repeats. What does it mean to be a human being? How are we separate from machines? How are machines imposing on our rights? And I think it's interesting now that we're, because we're, this is still a problem. We're not past the civil rights of actual human beings, but you guys are bringing in an interesting question of what happens when machines have become artificially intelligent. And we have to talk about the civil rights of machines. Civil rights usually comes from the idea of forming an in-group and an out-group, right? That these people are different from us, and because they're different from us, they're less than us, or they're more than us. So maybe, I don't know, I'm, very, I'm extrapolating here a lot, but like having a common enemy, right, of AI will unite us as human beings. We'll see, well, we're a lot more alike than we are from the computers and the robots which will lead to problems with the civil rights of the robots. It's not something I've never even thought of. Or it could cause those divides to be even greater. I don't know. Interesting. My biggest question for you guys is, would you date a robot? Yes. You would? Yeah. Why not? Oh, I don't know, I mean, man. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, let's explore more. Why do, would you want to do Do they that? like dinosaurs? There you go. Maybe. Kevin, we, why could you program it, we could program it to like dinosaurs. Oh my god, okay. Point. Here we go. <laughs> also, story of my worst date ever. But oh, no. <laughs> I, I took, I didn't know. Okay, you guys know me, big dinosaur fan, love the Museum of Natural History. I got free tickets to this movie at the Museum of Natural History. Invite this girl there. Kevin and Emma know the story. I'm giving you the spark notes here. <laughs> if you're listening to this girl that I took to that date, I'm so sorry <laughs> again. Um, but it turned out to be this movie about sex robots. I had, guys, I had no idea. Please, I did not yeah. intend to bring this person to a sex robot movie. But they were talking about, right, this guy, he's dating this artificial intelligence. Oh my God, the movie was tragic. It turns out that he had a history of sexual abuse in his life and he was afraid to connect with other people. And he got this robot as sort of like someone he could connect with, right? Because of the trauma that he had suffered, he was afraid to connect with people. So he had the robot. 
But then at one point he has this moment and he says, you're not in control of loving me, right? That traumatizing experience for me was because people took that control away from me. How can I do that to you? And he changes the settings. He can change the settings on the robot, right? She's more standoffish. She's less interested. So I think that would be a big issue for me is that, you know, a piece of technology, how can a piece of technology truly consent to be with another person? And to your point, Devin, you literally can control the robot. Yeah. So, hmm. I, that's, I think, what, distur- what would disturb me. I mean, right now is the perfect plug for the movie Her. It's a great movie. Oh. I love that movie. Love is love and happiness is happiness. Like, if someone's just experiencing that and it's not infringing on other people's rights or the AI's rights, like, who am I to say that that is wrong? And if I feel those things, if I fall in love with an artificially intelligent personality that I'm not manipulating and I feel authentic connection to, you know, why not? No, I agree with that. I mean, I think my thing, my hesitation is that, but it, that, you know, the robots or the artificial intelligence can't fully consent. But if we could get to a level where the artificial intelligence is completely autonomous and they can consent, then sure, I guess, you know, love is love. Whether it be between man and robot or woman and robot. You do or... not sound too convinced right now. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, maybe I gotta it watch sounds her. like I just showed up to your house with an artificially intelligent spouse and you're like, oh, I guess that's fine. Like if you like this and like that. Like, imagine it just looks like a human, or Emma, we've seen Blade Runner. They, no. they are like the, uh, I forgot what those, what they're called, the projections or whatever. And you love them. Would you date them? I would be accepting if, like, my friends would date an AI. Like, very accepting. I'd be very interested. I'd be a little hesitant myself. I just don't know. Maybe it's because I just have this, like, thought of just meeting I don't know. It's just a weird thought, I think, right now. And it's a little hard to process dating a, a robot. But um, I would be accepting, though, you guys. They could come over for a picnic. That's nice. That's fair. Yeah. I just would be a little hesitant. I, I would try it out. Sure, why not? I would use your aid, uh, your ad that, I'm sorry, I forgot the brand. <laughs> <How> <laughs> right? Intelligence. Intelligence. I would use your intelligence just out of pure curiosity. But I would have some hesitation. I mean that's that's how you hop on Tinder, right? Like or hinge. You're just a little curious of what's going on out there. Like, you know, maybe there's strapping young people out there that like I can get to know. Maybe they're artificial, maybe they're real. Exactly. Definition (laughs) of Tinder right there. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> how did we get here where the hell did we start I oh, don't john, even know. john henry correct john henry yeah yeah wow i like this. yeah <laughs> this is cool i mean you know now that i think about it i was at home depot once and i saw the smart fridge and i don't know i'm blushing just thinking about it but <laughs> <laughs> it got me feeling a certain way so maybe <laughs> i'm more accepting than i thought you mean smart house one of those smart fridges you know <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen Smart House on Disney Channel? Yeah, where the house is on mom. Exactly, yeah. The house is a mom. And the dad falls in love with the house. Oh, he does? Okay. Or the, the mom. The house mom. The house mom. The mom that is the house. <laughs> mom house. But didn't and then, the, mom house the mouse. But the thing is, though, she turns a little cray-cray, and she wants to become a person, 
an artificial person, by the way. And she, like, wants to destroy the other human trying to infringe on the dad relationship. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. You guys should watch it. That's pretty Again. fascinating. Like, that's pretty intense stuff for, like, a Disney Channel movie. Yeah, no. I know. I know. Add it to the watch list. Okay, so we have her, we have Smart House, and that disturbing robot movie that I saw. Can I throw another one in there? <laughs> sure. Ex Machina. Ex Machina. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ex Machina is also a very good one. Yeah, I mean, I have read that, like, the sex industry has driven a lot of technological developments, I think, with, like, I don't know, just coding and internet. I mean, that's an interesting question, too, and it goes back to the idea of civil rights, of robots, of artificial intelligence, is that it can lead to people carrying out inappropriate, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough, um, it's tough, because you need to, I mean, my hesitation, like we were talking about before, with a relationship with artificial intelligence is that you need to make sure, with, with any relationship, right, you need to make sure that the person or robot you're with has autonomy that they're consenting, that it isn't against their will. So when you give that robot will, you need to make sure the robot is just as willing to be invented. And then, you know what? I have no problem. I have no problem if any two whatevers are in a relationship and both are consenting and willing to be in it. My fear would be the potential for abuse, the potential for pushing that, the potential for saying, this is just a robot, you know, any kind of rights issue. This thing is different than me. It doesn't have the same amount of rights as me. It doesn't matter. So that's my major hesitation, but it's an interesting conversation. And, you know, tying it back to the song, what, because I, when I read, the whole album is a whole, right? Everything that happens will happen today. On the album cover, you have this house and it's in a forest and it feels like a very grounded, natural thing. But when you look closely, it's this pixelated house. It's very digital. And the song itself I was very grounded, right? The person's in their apartment, but they're seeing the other person very happy, going around in nature, in the world. What if we change it all? And this is someone in their apartment trying to write a song for a piece of artificial intelligence that they've fallen in love with, right? Or they're in like a little, I don't know. But tying it back to that song again. Maybe the house on the cover is the smart house. Yeah. From Disney Channel. <laughs> you guys, yes. Absolutely. A thousand percent. Oh, God. oh my God. Yeah, there it is. Look at, we solved it. We cracked it. We did it. Fascinating. You just covered so much ground there. We did. I love that. When you said like, and going back to the song, I was like, song. Oh yeah, the song, of course. (laughs) Like ages Um, ago. I also liked how, Devin, you brought up this all started with conflicts in literature. And there's been so many full circle moments of, I think when when I was talking about the Overtone series, we compared it to literature. And then you brought in literature. And then we were, the ad happened to be artificial intelligence. Yeah, and then heck? we talked into AI rights and AI romanticism and, and sexuality. And it's just like, we've really gone full circle. <laughs> and we're only halfway through the song. <laughs> oh my gosh. We haven't even got to the second. Uh, maybe we can hop into that now. <laughs> so after the first chorus, uh, we go to the second set of verses. Put on your socks and mittens. It's getting colder tonight. A snowball in my kitchen. I watched it melt before my eyes. I kind of like, uh, this reminds me of New York again. Like the dichotomy between the blisteringly hot summer days to like the frigid, frigid, 
cold of New York and like you can't have one without the other. I just like how he flips it and like brings in that cold imagery. Thoughts? Should I continue? Yeah, I can continue. Anyone want to say yeah. like one or two things just to break up my voice in the in the recording? You can literally just be yeah. <laughs> Sounds right. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. Thank you. That helped my ego. I think we're still in robot zone. It was tough to. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. It's a tough Can we clear the air? Do we have to talk about the sex robots anymore? I'm trying <gasps> to talk about the sex. <laughs> Just like a quick thing about the next verse, <clears throat> he like uses music terminology in his song, which I really like. So the next next verse is, "Your song still needs a chorus. I know you'll figure it out." Kind of going back to like the mentor versus newcomer. Uh, relationship the rising of the verses a change of key will let you out and he kind of like throws into the the you know the, the repeating of the strange overtones chorus but i love songs that use these musical terminology in the song to like literally progress it as he's about to like he changes his key and introduces the chorus when he brings in the words chorus and key it reminds me of the song hallelujah by uh leonard cohen it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, and the major lift. And when he says the fourth and the fifth, he's using the fourth and fifth chord tones. Then he descends to a minor key and the major lift, a major key. So, like, he literally spells out what he's playing in the song. And he kind of, David Byrne does that in this, where he's like, you know, you need to find a chorus and a change of key will help you out of this little jam. And then he bursts back into the chorus. It's really nice. Another full circle circle moment. I, I watched Shrek today, so there you go. <laughs> Sweet. Hallelujah. <laughs> what a soundtrack. Oh That's, my gosh. That, that was the first time I ever heard Hallelujah was that was that movie. Nick Cave is also on the Shrek soundtrack. Although I think it oh, might really? be Shrek too. Yeah, people ain't no good. Oh, crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what an eclectic <laughs> an eclectic soundtrack. <laughs> That's for sure. Um continue on maybe anyone want to talk about shrek more <laughs> we need a spongebob let's not forget spongebob oh <laughs> our spongebob <laughs> reference of the day just on the idea of robots also too we talked about like <laughs> getting to the level where you're dating robots remember the episode where he watches the robot scary movie and he's like what if mom is a robot what if dad is a robot? what if gary's a robot i mean what happens when we get to the point when we can't tell the difference between person and robot right and then yeah. will we care is it really purely a visual thing is it just because this thing looks different than me i don't know is it just a way to put in spongebob sure <laughs> if you're a robot you tell me right i love that let's just make a pact right here if any of us become robots we'll tell each other please i would love that <laughs> all right definitely i got, I got something to tell Kevin you guys. Seems hesitant. oh gosh okay <laughs> i knew no! it oh, man. Ooh, i don't know if i can podcast with you anymore find me on intelligence oh <laughs> I am the premier handsome robot. Um, that's funny. <laughs> There's also, I thought you were going to say the episode where SpongeBob goes to work for Plankton in the chum bucket and they put his brain in the robot. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't really feel, that's another good, but that's a good example too when we're talking about like ideas of consent and stuff is that, yeah. I mean, that's a very nice portrayal of a robot because at the end of the day, Plankton's willing to respect the fact that, or not respect, but the robot still says, I don't want to do it. And you can't force the robot to not do what they don't want to do. Yeah, the vehicle for the mind. The mind didn't want to do anything because mm-hmm. it wasn't happy. And whether it was in SpongeBob's real body or the 
robo sponges, you know, artificial body, he still didn't feel like cooking for the chum bucket. Again, more AI rights in children's TV shows. Fantastic. Good to see. Emma, you're asking, like, similarities to Talking Head songs. I feel like every song we've done on this show ends with, like, a funky jam to fade out ending. And that, what I thought of for this one is that, like, jam. he really dropped some cool bombs of, like, knowledge and funk in this song. And then so I feel funky. like, like, almost like a priest or preacher giving a sermon, he leaves space to just, like, let it sink in and let, like, the song wash over you as it fades out. Electronic you know, gospel. It, yeah, exactly, gospel. exactly. Wow. Whoa. Yes. Nice. Emma wins. <laughs> Emma wins the show. Emma wins the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So perfect. I mean, I think we've come back and forth and circled around and talked about a lot of crazy stuff today. Um, it's been Emma, great, you guys. Yeah, we like to finish off now with Stay Hungry. Um, so initially, I thought the song was quite simple. I don't know. It's just for me, it was just pure vibes, pure funk, but kind of having this conversation with you guys it's like there's so you could deep dive into this even more and go go even deeper than what we just did (laughs) anyways um definitely going to listen to it in a whole different perspective so thank you guys thank you fantastic that's that's lovely that's like the goal right that is exactly exactly. what we want (laughs) and i learned some ai terms (laughs) yeah i mean that's my stay hungry is i'm gonna you guys brought up this civil right, AI civil rights. I've never heard of that. I'm very curious to learn more. I'm going to have to look a little more into that and consider also, would I be willing to have a relationship with a robot? And if not, why not? Right? Is it Question wrong of the day. Not? There you go. So thank you guys for bringing that up because I definitely want to learn more about that. We'll be Devin, did you think you were going to say that sentence today when you got up in the morning? I had no <laughs> idea. I just want to make sure. Mm-mm. <laughs> if not, why not? Why, Why won't I date a robot? What is wrong with me? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, to, to piggyback off you, AI rights is something I think about a lot. And I'm happy that you two have in the past, you know, humored me in following this. And I'm glad we had like another conversation about it because I think about it a lot. And we, us three, will be at the forefront of the civil rights movement for AI. And there's no one else I'd be walking side by side as we blast David Byrne songs holding our banners. <laughs> Alongside our artificial brethren, so a billboard <laughs> maybe a billboard. <laughs> Are okay, we the stranger? <laughs> Just make sure you're not drowning. Emma, thank you so much. This was a blast. You thank yourself you. are have your own podcast. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit more about it, where we can sure. find it? Okay, it's called Her Life Blogcast. Um, the producer is really our honorable mention of Rachel Malik. She is mm-hmm. lovely on it. Highly recommend go um, listen to it. It's also like a lifestyle um, blogcast. So yeah, highly recommend you guys. But thanks for having me on this. A pleasure. Really, this is really fun. Thanks really for having was. us. Yeah, right, until cool. next time, I've been a tall billboard. I'm someone who's not drowning. <laughs> I'm Susie Q. Nice. <laughs> <Thanks so laughs> this much. is Devin, Kevin, and Emma. Stop making sense. Woo-hoo. Until next time.